Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Following John to the heart of Jesus. The focus is the heart of Jesus. The series, we're on the third part of the series. You can get the, the earlier ones. Go to our website, auroracornerstone.ca. You can pull those up. They're on. Uh, go into the menu to the sermons. We're, gonna, we're on this journey throughout the summer and into the fall because John the Beloved wrote five books, uh, the Gospel, three epistles, and, of course, the Revelation. I want to just hone in today because we're following somebody. The idea is to come alongside him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine walking right beside Jesus like John did? I have a vivid imagination. How many here would you say you have a pretty vivid imagination too? How many here have a vivid, vivid imagination? Okay, we really have to work on that, church. Uh, maybe you've been told not to imagine. Maybe you're a daydreamer and you've been told not to. But I want you to imagine here. If, you have, if you're a practical kind of a person that you have to see it to believe it, you just you know, have a hard time with your imagination, uh, this might stretch you a bit. But I encourage you, in the series, we are not doing the Gospel of John verse by verse. We are studying, we are walking alongside this young man in the Gospel. He's a young, this young man as he walks alongside Jesus. Uh, we want to learn about Jesus through his eyes. What did John see that is not, that is often lost when we Maybe just read through the gospel. I encourage you. I'm going to say it again today. If you haven't recently read the gospel of John, read it. I know some are doing that. Some made mention of that uh, in the last week. Read the gospel of John. Read it slowly. Get a hold of a paraphrase if you can so that you can read some study notes alongside. Take your time. Spend some time in there. Read it so that it becomes more than a, a study book. It becomes a letter. To you, Can we do that? And it would just take on, I think, a different flavor. I wonder what size sandals Jesus wore. Now, I don't lay awake at night wondering, but I do wonder. Just, was it, did he have big feet? Did he, you know, probably, right? well, it's hard to follow in his shoes. He's big, you know, we have that expression. Did he have big sandals? Did he have short sandals? Were his feet wide? Were his feet narrow? We'll never know until we get to heaven. I wonder how he spoke. Did he have a nice deep bass voice when he spoke? Did he have an accent? No, I guess it depends where you're from if you thought he had an accent. Did he speak quickly? Did he speak slowly? These are little things that I just wonder. You see, the disciples would have known this. We're not privy to it here today. Um, even how he spoke, did he? Was he one of those that, you know how some people when they talk to you, they look you in the eye and make you squirm because they never drop their eyes from your eyes and it's like, oh my goodness. And then other people look everywhere else when they're talking. I kind of think Jesus looked at your eyes, what I'm, but I don't know. Or did he look over to make sure you were still looking? I don't know. I don't have the impression Jesus intentionally made you feel uncomfortable. We don't get indication of that. But I wonder, how did Jesus address? 
don't know. So today, today, in this next few minutes, I want you to join me as we take snapshots. We're going to jump over a number of gospel writers of seeing Jesus. Remember, we're trying to get inside some of the journey of John. So we're going to do these snapshot scenes where John accompanied Jesus. So I want to think, I want you to think of yourself as number 13. Turn to the person next to you and says, you're number 13. Go ahead. You're number 13. Now, I'm not meaning your bad luck. I am not meaning that. When we say you're number 13, all I'm saying is you are today going to be the 13th disciple. There's 12 disciples. And you're going to be 13 today. So when you told the person next to you, you're number 13, you're going you're to be the 13th disciple following along, and I'm going to invite you into the scenes that the other 12 went. So you're number 13 today. So let's come alongside this young disciple and gaze upon the scenes that marked John forever. And I pray it will mark you forever as well. So let's start. Mark chapter 1, verse 33. Snapshots. Number 1. Mark 1, 33. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. Okay, let me read it again. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. They didn't know where he had disappeared. They were all sleeping. Mark tells us that Jesus went off to a solitary place. Now that word solitary in the Greek is the word Eremos, Eremos. Eremos means being in a state of isolation, an area isolated, unfrequented, abandoned, empty, desolate. So here you have very early in the morning, before the sun has peaked up, Jesus left the house and went off to Eremos, went off to a State of isolation, area isolated, unfrequented, abandoned, empty, desolate. Jesus went there. Just outside Capernaum, to this day, there stands a place that many locals throughout the centuries have called Aramus Heights. The area has rugged rock of red granite, wind-swept cliffs, and it's there that Jesus went off early in the morning. There you find him. Another snapshot in relation to this, Matthew 6, 6. Jesus himself taught, Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, Jesus said, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, in Aramos, your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus, who had no home, the one who spoke and the earth came into being because he spoke it, he would take himself daily to an Aramos. He removed himself from the hub of activity and went to an Aramos, a solitary place, a place where him and dad met regularly. 
Beloved, more and more, I think it's John was beginning to watch Jesus. He observed this. Jesus just didn't live in the hubbub of activity. The strength of Jesus flowed out of his solitary places. He had to find it. Now, some of you, you're going to have to look harder than others. If you live alone, you maybe wish you weren't so in an Aramos place. But others of us, if you have a big family or you're in a crowded facility, you find your Aramos. You find that solitary place. You discover what John was seeing as we're at the 13th disciple. We're watching Jesus. He slipped out insomuch that the disciples woke up in the morning and go, where's he gone now? You're ready to start your day, but Jesus is gone again. Where is he gone? He's not gone to Starbucks. He's praying somewhere. The first thing of his day, the first thing of order was he met with his dad. He would go into the closet. I invite you, find that favorite place. Jesus went to the Aramos for one reason, so that he would be alone with his father. I have a prayer assignment. Ready for your assignment? Should you accept this? I want you this week, I want you, I invite you this week in a personal prayer assignment to practice this one very simple thing. Let me explain what it is. I want you to practice what Jesus did. Because I believe the disciples, as a 13th disciple, the disciples practiced what Jesus did. They followed him. And so here's the practice of Jesus. When you start off your prayers, let's start off with, okay, let's go to a scripture. I'm going to show you. John chapter 11. John observes this. John eleven forty two. We're going to shuttle right in to the middle of a prayer of Jesus. Jesus is praying here. John is hearing him pray. He's praying this one out loud. John is listening. John eleven forty two. 42, right into the middle of the prayer. Here it is, Jesus praying. Jesus said, I knew that you, he's speaking to the Father, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is saying, I'm doing this, I'm saying this, so they can hear me too. Now, so many of us, we want to say our prayers are ever only in the private place. I believe there's something powerful in corporate prayer. I call people together as part of corporate prayer. Corporate should be the overflow of our private. It does not take the place of our private prayer. We've already determined Jesus got up early, went into the private, went into his Aramos to pray, but out of that, then he came back into public and he pulled the public in in prayers. But we have in John 11, Jesus saying, I knew that you always hear me. Here's the first prayer assignment this week. Start your prayers with how Jesus spoke. Start your prayers, I know you always hear me. So I did that this morning when I was thinking about this. I started my prayer when I began to, uh, you know, it was just like 7 o'clock this morning. I started off, Lord, I know you always hear me. I started my prayer, the prayer assignment I'm giving you. Then I want you to conclude what verse 41, John noticed. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. So I want to invite you to practice his presence. Here it is. Start your prayers by saying, I know you always hear me. And then when you've prayed, before you finish, say, Father, I thank you. You heard me. There's your assignment this week. Not a big one. Can you do that? Start your prayer this week. I thank you. 
That I know, or start, I know that you always hear me. Pray it. Thank you that you have heard me. And believe that. Put your faith there. He hears you. Jesus was showing this to his disciples. And as the 13th disciple, we are observing this. Let's put it into practice, what Jesus was demonstrating. We are practicing God's presence. Pray as God is really listening because God is listening. Now, I want to share another secret with you this morning about Wayne Lucas. I always always get your attention when I say that. Last week, I shared a secret. Do you remember my secret last week I shared? That I am a what? I'm a Christian hedonist. No, I wasn't, not a Christian heathen. Don't say that. I don't know if there is such a thing. I'm a Christian hedonist. Now, a hedonist means a pleasure seeker. I am a Christian pleasure seeker. I have pleasure and enjoy serving God. He brings me fulfillment. Now, I don't serve him because he brings me fulfillment. Because there is difficult times and difficulty. I serve him because he is Lord. But I'm a, I enjoy serving my Lord. I have pleasure serving God. He gives me pleasure. There are so many moments there's just an overflow of him where he lavishes his love on me. And I enjoy it. I'm admitting it. But that was last week's. This week I have a new one. Now, this happens to be one of my wife's favorite secrets I shared with her. Uh, And um, so anyway, let me just share this secret with you. I was a little boy in grade two. Okay, I was, what, seven years old in grade two. And I was in class. Mrs. Lennox was my teacher. It was in the middle of the day, if I remember, maybe earlier part of the day, She moved me to the front desk of the classroom with my scribbler, my pencil. And then she proceeded to move my desk right up against her desk, right beside her desk, touching her desk. I couldn't be three to four feet from the blackboard. Right up at the front of the classroom. There's my secret. Okay, now you know. And in that moment, as a young boy, began to wonder why she did that. And in my innocency, I was drawing the conclusion why she did it. She must really like me. At last, I'm a teacher's favorite. I mean, all the rest of them are way back there. She wants me right beside her. Look at this. Now, believe me, I had never, nor since, ever been anywhere near teacher's pet. Now, Lori and I have had that discussion. (laughs) She was. And I remember, because we went to school together in, in high school, they liked her. It was never said that of me. So in grade two, when I was moved right up against the teacher, I thought... She really, Mrs. Lennox really likes me. I'm her favorite. What I failed to realize was that she moved me beside her desk because I had created a major disturbance in the class. I was not listening. I was talking when she was talking. I was drawing the people's attention to myself. I was being a brat. 
But in that moment where she moved me up, she didn't explain why she moved me up. She just moved me. And I thought, she likes me. I'm her favorite. You know? And Okay, so there. Um, now, she didn't have to do that. She had other options. And I'm glad I never had the other options ever used on me, but there was another option. It wasn't uncommon for people like that to go and stand back in that day. You would stand in the back corner by yourself. That was an option, but she didn't use that option. Another option, sometimes they sent the child on the outside of the class and they stood outside the door. That was, I never figured that one out because the child never stood outside the door. They ended up going to every other class and playing Nicky Nicky Nine Door. Why they did that, I'm not 100% sure. But I, she could have sent me outside. Probably wouldn't have been highly favorable. Or the worst, what would the worst have been? Not send me home. That would have been a joy. The worst would have been what? Send me to the principal. You got it. She never sent me to the That could have been an option. Send me to the principal. And back then, that was corporal punishment. You got the strap if you went to the principal. But no. She moved my desk right up against hers. And for that fleeting day, I thought, I'm her favorite. But in her mind, I understand my dear Mrs. Lennox a little better today because she saw something in me to not crush his spirit. She wanted to invest in me, and to do that, she had to remove me from some of the problems. I did get some single attention from her that day, and that probably helped me. She did invest in me. She saw something in me. She saw something in me. Here's the reason I tell you the secret. Multiple times, Jesus would pull away from the crowd, and he pulled three people with him. He pulled three people up to his desk. So as 12 disciples, three disciples got their desk pulled up. And they, like me, thought that they were the favorite at first. But I believe more than that that was happening... I don't know if God has favorites. I do believe he focuses more on some. And the reason he focused, as Mrs. Lennox focused on me that day, is she knew that she had to work something in me that I wasn't getting. And she gave me some undivided attention that day to help me. And Jesus would call Peter. Peter was the impetuous one. Peter, he tended to get into trouble a lot. She pulled Peter's desk up to the side of hers. She pulled James' desk up beside hers. And he would later become one of the leaders of the twelve. And she pulled the youngest, John, up beside her desk. I'm just doing a paraphrase. This is the Wayne Lucas grade two paraphrase. Of what Jesus did when he called the three. Pulled them up beside her desk. Because she saw something in them. She saw something in young John that would live on right to his old age. And she had to invest in him. So she pulled them out. Let's pick up another scripture, Mark chapter 5. You have Jesus with Peter, James, and John. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. Let's read it. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, I want you to note particularly verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except 
John, the brother of James. Okay, did you pick that up? He did not let anyone else follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. He pulled their desks up. You're following me. It is here, at this particular miracle, at Jairus' house, that Jesus would raise a girl who was dead. With a one verbal command, life came back into her. Three disciples got to watch it. Their desk was right beside his. He pulled them up. And John, the youngest, the youngest, watched and observed this most incredible miracle. You're the 13th disciple here today. We're walking alongside and we're watching Jesus operate. We're following John to the heart of Jesus. So we're watching him operate here. And we see him raise this girl back. One word, she comes back. I wonder what went through John's mind then. He was allowed to witness what nine others didn't see. And did you notice when it mentioned, when Mark mentions John in chapter 5, this is the earlier mentions of John, did you notice, I'm going to read 37 again, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and note how he said this now, John, the brother of James. Didn't that, didn't you just hate that? When you were just the young brother, you know, I remember I had two older sisters and there would be a social function and it was like, you know, this one and that one and, oh, He's the brother of, he's the tag along, you know, sometimes my name wasn't even mentioned. Who are you again? You know, I was quite a bit younger. Who are you again? And, and you're just the tag along. You get that impression, Mark here, read it again. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of, you know James, so now you know how John fits into this. We know Peter, we know James. Oh yeah, that's John. He's the brother of this one here. So... Go with me four chapters later, Mark chapter 9. Snapshot again. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. Here he is again. He's pulling the desks up. Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. That whole story of the transfiguration is an amazing story. Not going to take the time, but to explain that on that mount... Jesus was transfigured. He glowed. That's the picture of transfiguration. And they saw from heaven something that shook them for the rest of their lives. Remember they grew up hearing all the stories of Moses and Elijah the prophet. And on that mountain, heaven opened up. And Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are having a conversation on that mountain. You imagine... Being the 13th disciple, standing there and listening to that. John was. John was. He got to listen to this conversation because his desk was up beside Jesus. And he was listening to this conversation. But I want to draw your attention to how all that began. You see, back in Mark chapter 5, John was listed in conjunction with being James' brother. Four chapters later, he's no longer named the tag-along brother. His identity is emerging. This is the Greek word thalema, which means divine intention. Jesus was now going personal with John. Where John was the tag-along younger brother of James, four chapters later, he spent a bit more time with Jesus. His desk has been there for a while now. He's spending some time, and now he's no longer John, the brother of James. 
he, the, again, this expression is called thalema. There's divine intention. Now Jesus went personal with John intentionally. And he refers to John simply now as John. His identity has emerged. He's not simply the brother of. He is John. Peter, James, John. John, you're rising up. I'm making you something. So I invite you here. He, he calls you to the Aramos, the solitary place, to meet with him. And when you do, start off by saying, I know you hear me. And then begin to pray. And then when you close it off, thank you for having heard me. And enter into that regular, daily, solitary place. And spend some time. Because I'm going to suggest he's moving some desks up beside his. And just as I was a bit mistaken back with Mrs. Lennox, and I'm sure if she was here, she's long gone, I'm sure if she was here, she would quickly correct me and says, Wayne, you were not my favorite. I'm pretty convinced of that now. But for that moment, that day, I was, at least in my mind. And she poured into me, not to break my spirit, but to develop a young boy who would, in turn, desire to develop other people. Find your Eremos with Jesus, that divine intention where you and Jesus fellowship. Now, let's continue on our journey here. I want to talk about Jesus and the women. Now, that kind of sounded, even when I wrote it down, I, I deleted it, thought about rewriting it because it all sounded wrong. It sounded like a scandal. And I thought, but, okay, well, I'll just explain it. And so I put the title back in, Jesus and the women. Let me explain it. Let's go to John chapter 4, verse 27. I want to show you Jesus' interaction now with women. And the reason I want to do this, I want to draw, remember the 13th disciple, so we're walking along, following Jesus. We're trying to understand some things. So John chapter 4, verse 27, we're going to pick it up. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. This is the first interaction outside of his mother. First interaction of Jesus talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, then leaving her water jar... The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So here, John, our beloved, draws special attention to the fact that Jesus is talking with a woman. Now, each of the following segments record a time when Jesus had an important encounter with women. We're going to point them all out because John is drawing this. The other gospel writers did not include this as much as John does. But we're following John, right? We're not following all the others. So we're watching John as he's making an observation here. So John is pulling out these encounters Jesus has with women. And before we become frustrated with these varied selections of Scripture we're going to look at, keep in mind here this morning that we want to draw conclusions based on all the snapshots. So we're not going to draw a conclusion of Jesus based on one. We want to draw a conclusion based on all of them. So let's go through these snapshots of Jesus with women. The first one 
is the one I've mentioned here. John chapter 4, actually the first 39 verses, introduces a woman from Sychar. You probably know her by the label, woman at the well. But do you realize that she's the first person to whom Jesus declared, I'm the Messiah? Isn't that interesting? She, this what appears to be a random woman, is the first person Jesus declares who he really is. Don't miss this. Wow. She was surprised that Jesus would even have a conversation. He was a rabbi. Rabbis did not do this. Women in those days were not treated as equal. And Jesus treated them as equal. And John is picking this up, watching Jesus. And he writes the story under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus is having a conversation with this woman at the well. And Jesus in this conversation is in relationship. He's, he's talking. He's dialoguing back and forth. Not demeaning. But in a way that brings blessing. She was surprised Jesus was treating her with such respect. He led their conversation from drinking water from the well. To her needing the gift of living water which she thirsted for. And this woman, this <laughs> looked like a random woman, she becomes the first evangelist we have that we know of. Because after this, however long this dialogue between Jesus and her takes place, she goes back to the town and she proclaims like an evangelist does, come, see the one in whom told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? He just brought that out. Let's phase out of that one. Let's go to the next. John chapter 8, next snapshot. First 11 verses. Another dramatic scene. Jesus encounter with another woman. This time the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they're trying to trap him. All the religious people, they're trying to back him into a corner. Here was their method. They grabbed a woman who got caught in the act of adultery. Don't let your mind stay there too long. <laughs> because it's just a seamy scene. Where they believed and trapped her. Of course, we know nothing said of the man. She is caught in the act of adultery. She is pulled out. She is dragged before Jesus. How embarrassing, how humiliating, how degrading it is of what they've done to her. She is dragged before Jesus, thrown on the ground, and they say, they demand, Jesus, you judge her. She was caught in the act of adultery. Now, if you read through this story, Jesus doesn't play by our rules. He won't play this game. Instead, Jesus had nothing to say to them. He had nothing to say to them. What he did instead, he crouched down and he began to draw on the ground. And that, of course, gets my imagination going. I'm not even going to speculate on that. But he begins to draw on the ground until one by one, their conscience begins to accuse these leaders and the crowd melts away. John, somewhere there, he's watching. 
and it melts down to the place where it's Christ and the woman. And now Jesus speaks, but not to them. He looks at her. And again, I'm curious how he engages. But he looks at her. I believe he looks her in the eyes. And he asks her, where'd they go? Has anyone condemned you? In other words, if you're being condemned, your, your accusers have to be here. So he says, is anybody accusing you right now? And she says, no one, sir. Hear the words of Jesus, verse 10 and 11. He says, neither do I condemn you. Isn't that beautiful? Breaks you up every time. Neither do I. Now he doesn't stop there. Go. Go on. And leave your life of sin. You don't have to live there. Praise God. You don't have to live there. Leave your life of sin. Let's jump out of that one. Let's go to chapter 11. Another scene. Verse 17 to 44. Provides another glimpse of Jesus and women. This time he's dealing with sisters. The sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus, who Jesus would raise from the dead miraculously, had two sisters, Martha and Mary. Jesus knew the family. There was some connection earlier. So Christ came when his friend Lazarus had been buried and in the grave for three days. In this instance, we see Jesus dealing with, not. Well, I don't want to focus on Lazarus. Remember, we're focusing on the women here. I want to show you Jesus and the two women here, the sisters. Martha is the first one. Perhaps she's the oldest. Martha goes to meet Jesus. Again, they know each other. Martha goes to meet Jesus and with combined words of reproach and hope, listen to what she says. Verse 21, 22. She says to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Reproach. Here's the hope. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Okay? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. You, in other words, you, you, sh you should have been here. But... I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus calmly accepts her words and reveals himself to her in a fresh way. We pick it up, verse 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, he has not said that to anybody else before this. She's the first. She's just reproached him. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Mary. Jesus meets her totally differently. Mary also states her belief that Jesus could have healed her brother. But instead of saying, but, you know... I'm trusting good is going to come out of this. What Mary does is very different. Again, two sisters, but you can know two sisters can be very different from each other. And these two sisters are very different. Martha had her ways. But in this situation, what Mary does, she again expresses, it would have been good if you had healed him. But then her next scene, she falls at Jesus' feet and she just begins to bawl. She's grieving. She just begins, but she falls on Jesus' feet. She doesn't turn away in grief. She doesn't run off into the house in grief. She falls at Jesus' feet. John is telling us the story. She falls at Jesus' feet. Tears are flowing as streams from her eyes onto the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? 
verse 33, it says, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he asks, where have they laid Lazarus? And verse 35, many of you notice the shortest verse in the Bible, two words, Jesus wept. Two very different scenes, two women, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe, you'll have life everlasting. Mary, she's bawling. And Jesus simply cries with her. Wow. Thirteenth disciple, we're getting a picture of what it is to follow Jesus. That he cares individually for each story. And then to the joy of both the sisters, he goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. Wow. Okay, let's go to the next one. John chapter 12, first eight verses. Continues with the story of Martha and Mary. Six days before the Passover when Jesus would die, the sisters give a dinner in Jesus' honor. Overcome by her love for Jesus. I want to hone in on Mary again. Overcome by her love for Jesus. And by a premonition of what was to come. And driven by the Holy Spirit. Mary pours out perfume on Jesus' feet. Here she's back at Jesus' feet again. Man, she doesn't leave far from Jesus' feet. Here she is again. A dinner for Jesus. But now you have the scene. John is writing this down. Mary is weeping. Well, she's at Jesus' feet. And she takes a jar of expensive perfume. And she pours it on Jesus' feet. And she wipes them with her hair. This incredible moment, in this moment, two voices speak up. I want to draw your attention. Judas speaks. Judas declares that this extravagant gesture is a waste of money. That's what Judas says. John writes this down. This could have been sold. He made it look spiritual. Could have been given to the poor. Could have been given to the poor. That's what Judas has to say about it. What does Jesus, I don't really care what Judas has to say. What does Jesus have to say about it? Jesus declared Mary's actions as sacred anointing. She was anointing him for his burial, he said. Matthew 26, 13 wraps the scene best with Jesus' words where Matthew said it. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached, Jesus said, throughout the world, what she has done will always be told in memory of Mary. So here we are 2,000 years later. July 17th, 2022, we're talking about it. And that's what Jesus said it would happen. He said, never be forgotten what she did that day. Never be forgotten. Our very words at this moment continue to fulfill his promise. So, what's the point in all of this? Perhaps this morning we've seen Jesus talking to, honoring, treating everyone with dignity, and particularly those overlooked, particularly the women of his day, treating them with honor, dignity, and love. Snapshot after snapshot. Let's go to another snapshot, John chapter 20. John chapter 20, first 18 verses. We have a different Mary. Her name is Mary Magdalene. 
She's the first one who goes to the tomb and she discovers on resurrection morning, the tomb is empty. She is so excited. Mary Magdalene. Who's Mary Magdalene? Mary Magdalene is believed to be the one who was demon-possessed. She'd been set free of a number of spirits by Jesus. She knew what it was to give everything up. She, ultim- she had the ultimate deliverance in her life. He is our deliverer. Praise God. If, you, if you're thankful to God, say praise God. He's the ultimate deliverer. And Mary Magdalene had been delivered of evil spirits. And so she's the first at the tomb on that day. And she sees the rest. He's not there. So she rushes back and she tells those whose deaths are up next to Jesus. She tells Peter and John. And so all of them run back to the tomb. Peter and John take a look for themselves. That she's not pulling their leg. The tomb is indeed empty. Peter and John go back to the rest of the disciples. Now we hone in on the scene. Mary doesn't. (laughs) Mary can't. She's there. She doesn't understand this. She can't go back to life as normal. She's there at the tomb and she's just lingering. She's lingering. John tells us the story. The others don't hone in as John does. John tells us the story. So there she is. She's lingering there. Next thing, two angels. And the truth of the risen Christ penetrates her grief-stricken heart. And she begins to turn from the tomb and she sees a man. Verse 15, John 20, 15. She sees a man thinking he was the gardener. She says, sir, if you carried him away, where did you put him? Why is she asking that? Because wherever he is, I'm going. I'm going where Jesus is. So where is he? Where did you put him? And I will get him, she says. But it was Jesus she's talking to. And I'm not really sure how, how she didn't pick up on him in the very, you know, was it because it was dark? That's what they supposed, because it was not light enough yet. Maybe there was a bit of distance between them. But when Jesus responded, he simply tenderly says, Mary, Mary. And when she recognizes him, the Bible says, verse 17, she, she grabs a hold of him. <laughs> she, she's not going to let him go. She grabs a hold of him. And Jesus had to speak. And this is Jesus, verse 17. Do not hold on to me. I have yet to return to my father. Go, go, Mary, go. And tell my brothers that I am returning to my father and your father to my God and your God. So I want to wrap all this up. Based on these three observations about Jesus this morning, here's my call as we follow John to the heart of Jesus. May our hearts be endeared to give our lives to him like they did. Number one, notice Jesus was not ashamed to be seen with a woman. In fact, he wants nothing more. What I mean by that is to those that feel marginalized, unappreciated, and lost in the cracks, Jesus is not ashamed to be seen with you. In a culture that that was not embraced. We saw snapshot. Why did John record this? That's what he's telling us. Jesus is not ashamed to be seen with you. He's not ashamed to talk with you. The one who spoke the world into being has chosen you and me to be his bride. He is the groom. We are the bride. So when we study his word, may we study his word as one who he continues to talk to.
He wants your life to radiate proof that he's been talking to you because hear this and hear it clearly. He is saying, I believe in you. I am proud of you. Secondly, though very much a man, Jesus understood the needs of a woman. I personally reject this new age theology that tries to make a woman out of God somehow because God doesn't understand the feminine line and the presupposition that women are second rate. I reject that. That is not the God that we serve. It's not the God of the Bible and it's not the God of what John is observing. Not at all. Jesus fully understands women. He fully understands men. There is no distinction in that level. Beloved, Christ understands all of us better than we will ever understand ourselves. Jesus was totally unafraid of intimacy then, and he still is unafraid of knowing us personally. In each of the encounters we saw, did you notice how he treated each one with the utmost favor, dignity, respect, and unique to them? Not once did Jesus leave a single one of these out in her time of need, and he never will. He never will. You can go to the bank on this one. In every case, he looks beyond the action. Because although I was in the class with Mrs. Lennox in grade two, and my action was not pleasurable to her, she looked beyond my action, moved me up beside the desk, because I thought she saw me as her favorite because she saw something to invest in that young boy. And I believe he looks at your situation today and knows your needs today. And he invests in them. And thirdly, without exception, Jesus honored women and gave them dignity. I don't see a single hint of any second-class treatment at all. No way. Jesus was stunningly personal, intensely intimate, completely proper, treated with dignity and no shame or condemnation. So let's wrap this up. This morning, find your Aramis, solitary place. He pulls your desk up. Embrace it. When you approach him, start by, I know you hear me, and end by, thank you for having heard me. And if you felt second class, don't. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the enemy of your soul. All of us, he has room for all of us first class. And embrace him because he's embracing you every day. He's here. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, that God, you have shown John these secret things that he would write it. He would write it because he's beckoning his readers to join him in what he has witnessed. So we join you. We join in this as the 13th to come alongside and to realize that God, you are honing in on us individually and personally. There's not one woman, there is not one man, there is not one teenager, there is not one person listening by live stream today who you are overlooking, who is burning up your time, who is annoying you. 
Lord, sometimes when you are shaking our world up, you are simply moving our desk up. Lord, some of us have been getting into trouble. And Lord, we have every reason for you to be annoyed, but we never see indication of that. Lord, you see something in us. And you are pouring yourself into us, revealing yourself to us, and embracing us in our moments. God, help us to see it again. Help us to see it with fresh eyes. And God, I pray it will transform us as it marked John for life. May it mark us for life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.